I'm going to ask you to start in Galatians chapter 1. We're dealing with a, a subject that I call the life of grace, but it's for Christians only. And I've been de- dealing over the last, what, four or five weeks with a word, <laughs> the word delivered. Um, and and I'll, we'll pick it up in Galatians 1. You're going to ask me what text it is, and I'll tell you when I get to it because I want to review a couple of things. But I do want to open us up with a word of prayer as we look at what Christians have in the life of grace. Uh, we sing Amazing Grace and a few other songs, and we know that it's unmerited favor, but do we really understand what it is, the grace that Christ has given us? So let's pray, and then we'll study the Word of God. Father, we come to hear from you. We come to understand your word. We come to understand your will, your purpose for our being. Father, we come with grateful hearts, the joy of our salvation. Father, the body of Christ that you've placed us in, the gifting of people, ordinary people all around us to do extraordinary things in the power of Jesus Christ. Father, may we decrease, may you increase. May we hunger and thirst for your word. May we hunger and thirst for your righteousness. And Father, as people see, may they see the manifestation of Christ and Christ alone. And we praise you and we thank you. Amen. Um, I'm dealing with an issue that is... um, What's odd about this issue on deliverance and true Christianity is that what you perceive as evident, it is only here in North America. Um, and why do we not, or why do we um, not identify people who are saved and who are not saved? And can you? Um, asking that question is very clear to me. Uh, is the gospel unclear? then identifying a person of the gospel should be clear too. I do not believe it's fuzzy. Do you think that the gospel is hard to understand? No. No. It, it, it can't be hard to understand because there's a mandate in Scripture that says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But I'm just going to make it so you don't understand it. But do we have to go to a seminary or a Bible college to grasp this gospel? We analytically, intellectually this day, believe that, but I'm not sure that our hearts are there. The Bible teaches that if anybody does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a cursed. Okay? Um... If you've ever seen, or perhaps you even remember it, Matt, you're supposed to remember this. Actually, guys, if you're married today, you'd better remember this. Um, When we were courting or dating our wives, there was no doubt in anybody's mind, was there? Right? They, everybody sort of had an idea that, there seems to be a gross amount of affection between that person and that person. Right? <laughs> gross amount, Ed. Get it all. <laughs> gross, gross amount. Gross amount. Correct? Let me ask you a question. Do people see a gross amount of affection in your life for the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, I understand all of this. I understand that salvation is by faith and faith comes from hearing the word of God. And how are they going to hear without a preacher? Did you know that? Do you know that there are some mainline evangelicals that are teaching this day? And if I gave you the names, you would literally fall out of your chair. That believe they don't have to hear the gospel to be saved. They can have an inherent Nature that responds to faith in Jesus Christ, even though they have no idea who he is. Billy Graham made that statement. In an interview with Schuler. Now, I would expect it out of Schuler. I would not expect it out of Billy Graham. 
Tony Evans made that statement. And I would not have expected that out of Tony Evans either. They're literally saying that people can be saved because their nature believed there was a God. Okay, let me share with you something from my heart. The New Testament is crystal clear. The New Testament lacks no... Um, there is no lack of information in the New Testament to discern that a person must believe to be saved and then they must hear to believe. Martin Luther turned the world upside down because of one simple text. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God to salvation. First to the Jew, then to the Greek. Before that verse, he says in verse 15, I am under obligation to preach. To preach. Nothing's changed, brothers and sisters. Nothing has changed. I don't care what movie you believe will open the door. I made a statement a few weeks ago, and I want to clarify it again. Uh, was it a year ago? Two years ago, maybe, that the, the passion of the Christ came out. And everybody said, whoa, this is it. I went and seen it. And I'll be honest with you, it was not the gospel. I'm sorry. Okay? As a believer in Jesus Christ, when I watched the movie, I understood why Jesus Christ did what he did. That was never dealt with in the movie. If I was an unbeliever and I went and seen that movie, I can walk away from that very much satisfied on why did they kill that poor man. That was never dealt with in that movie. Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? Well, Jesus died to deliver us, to deliver us, redeem us, to save us from what? From what? And that's what we've been looking at, okay? Why? He delivered us out of the darkness and put us into the light. Those are metaphors. He delivered us out of the lie and put us in the truth. Listen, a believer, a child of God, I don't care. I love you all. I don't care about your Uncle Bob, your nephew, your grandson, your child. And I remember when they walked down this aisle, and I remember when they cried, and they just lived like the devil ever since, but I know they're saved. They're not. Jesus Christ, Colossians chapter 1 says, He has delivered you from the lie. He has put you in the truth. A believer comes to know truth. A believer becomes to the place that they understand truth. A believer understands and grasps truth. They embrace truth and they worship the God of truth. It is an overwhelming passion of the person and is non-negotiable. If you don't ever crack your Bible except when you hear me preach, ask yourself why. Why? Why would not the author of truth have an overwhelming desire of my life? See, I know that only truth saves. And I know that I must tell people the truth. True. So the question that I hear, and I meet with many church leaders, and what's gone wrong? Here's the big thing that's happening today. Well, I've got more people going out the back door than I have coming in the front door. Okay, you know, I get one in and two out, and one in and two out. Here in Castle Rock, I've been in this town for way maybe too long. All right, and everybody says, you know, I just have so it never goes anywhere. I got the same amount of people, and I got one person out, and I, I kind of chuckle and I said, I guarantee you, in every one of your fellowships, I have people who've been through my church. Guaranteed. Oh, you don't understand it. 
Make it easy on yourself. How much can you afford to lose? <laughs> I mean, you want to wager on this? Why? They're in and out. They're in and out. They're in and out. Why? Why is that? Well, I think it's social pressures. Okay? It's social pressures, and social pressures are all over the place. I mean, I have my job, I have my family, I have da 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 You know, gas has gone up, now gas has gone down, and interest has gone up, and interest has gone down, and houses has gone up, and houses has gone down. I'm divorced, I should have been divorced. I, da, 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 I'm getting married, I want to get married, I should have been married. Uh, I need this education, I need this degree. Just go down the line. We have so much social pressure. I think that's what it is. And it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing. Here in America, you know, Castle Rock's got 30,000 people and we got 49 evangelical churches. It's wonderful. I mean, we were just about a half a step out of Jerusalem, ain't we? I mean, holy ground. Okay? It, 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 it is, you know, it's the world. You know, we have this world, the communication age, the information age. They're hitting me on the Internet and they're hitting me on my computer and they're hitting me on cable TV and satellite TV and, and radio and da-da-da. And it's, just, it's just all of this stuff. There's so much stuff that happens in the world today and it's always there and it's always beating and bombarding me and, and I've got all this information stuff going on and it's all of that. There's so many excuses. I've heard them all. And let me tell you what something. It's none of those excuses. It's not our culture. It's not our social pressure. It's not our... Um, I'll tell you this. It's not the world. It's not even outside of the church. Why does it look like this? Ian Murray wrote a book. I love Ian Murray. He was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' associate pastor. And if you guys know know me well enough, you'll know that I have a tremendous passion for Dr. Jones, is what he was called. He was a doctor not of theology, he was a cardiologist, okay? Uh, and, I mean, I went to London, England. Here I am in London, England, and the guy I was with says, well, what do you want to go see? And I said, Westminster Chapel. Westminster Chapel? Uh-huh. Why? That's where Martin Lloyd-Jones preached, <laughs> You want to go see? Well, didn't he die? Yeah. But I want to go see where he stood. Okay, I might get some chicana or something off of it. You see what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> All right, so anyway, Ian Murray was his associate pastor. And here's out of book, Evangelicalism Divided. And I quote, Spiritual decline is not a mystery which Scripture leaves unexplained. It is a result of the presence of falsehood where there should be truth, unquote. Okay? It is the presence of falsehood where there should be truth. That's an amazing statement, especially from Ian Murray, who was associate pastor to Dr. Jones. Um, And the scripture doesn't leave it unexplained. Uh, and the Bible warns us. Did you know that there are books in the Bible that warns us against false teaching? Did you know that? You know why First John was written? To warn us against what? False teaching. How do I tell a false teacher? I look at the Bible. <laughs> See if what he says lines up. Did you know that Peter warns us? Don't even compare it to an experience. He says, we were on the mount. And we experienced the transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't hold a candle to written word. We believe that an experience will teach us what? That the man is what? In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11, they run around saying, peace, peace, and they have a way of peace, but there is no peace. He goes on to say in Jeremiah 23 that they are prophets that God did not send. See what he said? They are prophets that God did not send. Listen, prophet isn't somebody who sees into the future. A prophet is somebody who will publicly proclaim. They go, but God didn't send them. I believe that the pulpit is full of it. 
All over scripture we are warned. I like Isaiah. Isaiah is a man cut. I'm cut after Isaiah's cloth. In Isaiah chapter 56, he describes it this way. They are dumb dogs that can't bark. I like the way Isaiah sort of turns the phrase. So is that a good thing? Dumb means... Can't hear, can't talk. Listen, if the man of God isn't hearing God, then who's he speaking for? Okay. He also describes them as Peter recalls in his letter. They are waters or they are clouds without water. What does that mean? Gloomy. (laughs) I guess (laughs) gloomy. I have a passion for the Scottish um, preachers. I'm not sure why, but I do. One of them, Horatio, I think that's because they got goofy names. Horatio Bonner, Scottish preacher, said this, and I quote. Now he's, this is speaking of our adversary, Satan. And I quote, he comes as an angel of light to mislead, yet pretending to lead. To blind, yet professing to open the eye. To obscure and bewilder, yet professing to eliminate and to guide. He approaches us with fair words. Fair words upon his lips. Liberally. Progress. Culture. Freedom. Expansion. Elevation. Benevolence. He seeks to make his own out of these. To give the world as much of these as suits his purpose. As much as he will make them content without God and without Christ and without the Holy Ghost. He sets himself up against God and the things of God in every way. He can deny the gospel or he can dilute the gospel Or he can obscure the gospel or he can neutralize the gospel. He rages against the true God, sometimes openly and coarsely, sometimes cummingly and politely. And making men believe that he is the friend of truth. Unquote. You know when that was written? 1562. We sure don't pay attention, do we? You, I get into trouble. You know the thing that has caused me the hardest grief as a as a as a pastor, as a as an elder, as a, as a Christian, is claiming that I can tell a true Christian. It's not hard. Why? A true Christian knows truth. (laughs) It's kind of weird. They understand truth. A true Christian loves truth. You know what else a true Christian does? They live for truth. And nobody is saved who doesn't. I mean, they may be close. But they're not saved. Second thing that we shared, they've been delivered out of darkness and the light. The second thing we looked at is that they have been delivered from sin into righteousness. Righteousness. And I shared this with you out of Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Because it says in the middle of verse 17 that they are obedient from the heart. Did you know that out of the mouth <coughs> speaks the heart? I, when I came to the Lord, came to salvation, at that point in time I was in the trades. I like that. That sounds good, doesn't it? I swung a hammer. That's <laughs> what I did. But I was in the trades. What does that mean? <laughs> I swung a hammer. Uh, I cut wood and, you know, cussed. <laughs> That's what they did. You, you, go to a construction site, the most holiest place you've ever been. They're all calling on Jesus <laughs> for something. Okay? When I came to salvation... One of the first things that was noted about me was my language changed. Why? Because every time I used profanity, it was like sticking my head in a barrel. 
And I would like to say that I was this great man who decided to quit cussing. But every time I cussed, it was like echoing through my head. And I kept thinking, I I can't say that. And that was one of the first things that I had people on a job says, what's the matter with him? He, you know, because, you know, there was ways. um, I was a general contractor and a few other different things. But there were certain terms and phrases that you could get people's undivided attention quickly. Okay, and they knew whether you were mad or happy or whatever was going on. Um, And yet, out of my heart, you could hear my mouth. And so, when I think about that, he says, because it was the form of teaching. You know what that root word is? Doctrine. Out of that form of teaching, you were delivered. And you live righteous now. You were delivered from sin into righteousness. How? From a form of teaching. A form of doctrine. You heard this. Doctrine unites. James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26 shows you the three kinds of faith that exist on the planet earth. Okay. The first and foremost is faith without works is dead. Okay, now, that doesn't mean it's a backslidden Christian. Dead means non-existent. Okay? So if you have a faith and it doesn't, isn't seen, then what kind of faith do you have? Well, I'll tell you what. Let me try to make it as plain and simple as possible. It's a non-saving faith. You're not saved. It doesn't matter how much Bible knowledge you have. I don't care if your uncle was a pastor. I don't care if your daddy was a pastor. It doesn't matter. If you're faith is not seen, then it is not real biblically. Okay, the second kind of faith that you see in that text is that the demons believe there is one God and they do well, but they're scared of him. Okay, so there's a second kind of faith. It's a good, solid faith that believes there's one God, but you're not afraid of him. Then you have a demonic faith. Okay, by the way, in case you were wondering, that one doesn't save either. Okay, this is works-based righteousness. Works-based righteousness. You know, I had people ask me this. Well, Terry, do you have a passion for the Slavic people, for the lands of Russia? Is this something, I mean, are you from that line of people or something? Why Russia? They want the word of God. That's all. If you look at the ministries this church supports, they all have one thing in common. Whether it's Pastor Paul in Burma, whether it's Nelda Thomas up in the Northwest, whether it's Olford Ministries out of Memphis, there's one focus that they have. It's the Word of God. Period. That's their focus. In James' text, he says, if there is not a pattern of evidence that you have a new life, Remember what Romans 6 says? You have been raised to walk in the newness of life. You've been buried with Christ. You know what that means, right? When do you bury something? When it's dead. So you can do what? Walk in the newness of life. Christ is now seen. If you don't have a pattern of evidence that that's there, you're not saved. Okay. Listen, to deliver something, you don't, you're not in the process of being delivered. You are either not delivered or you have been delivered. And I, I used the illustration. I ordered some books out of California and they were in California. They were now at my house. They're not in the process. I'm not getting it one page at a time. Okay. Too many people are saying, well, I'm in the process. You might be, but you'll be in the process of coming to salvation. But you're not saved. You're not saved. And Scripture is all over the place on this. The book of Hebrews deals with this. The Gospel of John deals with this. John's three letters deals with this. book of Revelations deals with this. Jude deals with this. 1 Peter deals with this. Galatians deals with this. Romans deals with this. Just go down the line. Do you see a pattern here? God's saying, pay attention. This is really kind of important. But I want to share with you a third thing, and it's in Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now this is New American Standard Translation, and I want to land on a couple of words here to just kind of lay a, a frame here. Because what has he done and what do we do? All right, who gave himself, I like that, who gave himself for our sins, why? Here's a New American Standard Translation. So that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Okay, the word rescue there is the word we get delivered from. Okay, have you ever listened? Uh, we just got done with election cycle. Have you ever listened to politicians? Ooh, scary stuff, isn't it? Scary stuff. They promise you what? And Pluto. Why? Just vote for me, and you'll you'll never have to do anything ever, never again. Okay. Have you ever seen what there? Whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent or whatever you are, have you ever seen something? Do you know they all have something in common? Huh? Do you know that they all promise? Did you know that they all promise? And all of them have one thing in common with their promise. It's temporal. One group says, I'm going to cut your taxes. You'll have more money and you can have more temporal. One party says, you know what? I'm going to take more of your money, but I'm going to give you more temporal. Right? Ain't that true? How? But ask yourself this. Now, it's easy for us to look at politicians and say, they're going to give me all the temporal that there is. But what do we focus on? This text says that I have been rescued and or delivered. I heard this illustration one time. And it's kind of funny. It's sad. It was speaking of the pulpits in America that are preaching on the... He says it's like... Rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's true. Think about our lives. What do we do with our lives? We are always in the process of what? <coughs> Rearranging. But the boat still sinks. I, 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 did you hear that? You remember a few years ago that movie, The Titanic, came out? They got a new release of it. And it's got a new ending. What, it don't sink? I don't get it. What's the new ending? I mean, I thought we had pictures of the bugger on the bottom of the ocean. Would it come back up? It just bobbed. I, I, I don't understand that. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says he might deliver us. He might re rescue us from what? This or present evil age, okay? The deliverer here that you see, he might rescue his New American Standard. The word delivered there, it's called a Greek subjective because it has a, it indicates a purpose. There was a reason that you have been rescued. The purpose was Jesus died, is this text. The reason that he died was to deliver us out of what does it say? Some of your translations may say this, but it literally means which age? <coughs> the one you are now in. Do you understand what he's saying here? He's not talking about when you die and you're absent from the body and you're now present with the Lord, you are no longer that ain't what it says, is it? He says, you have been delivered. You have been rescued from this present age. Age is aeon. Aeon. It would be better translated um, era. Okay? You know what's amazing about this? 
This is inheritance salvation. He's not in the process of rescuing me out of this present age. He has rescued me out of this present age. If you've been saved, Paul says, under the power of the Spirit, you have been rescued from this evil world system, this era of evil, this era of sin. It doesn't hold any charm for you. It doesn't hold any attraction for you. Why? You have been rescued out of this age. Rescued. Let me give you some terms. The word there, exario, delivered or rescued. In Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's message, when he was preaching to the Sanhedrin, he described how God rescued Joseph from his brothers. He also described how he rescued Israel out of Egypt. Two different texts there dealing with that chapter um, 7 verses 10 and verse 34. Peter uses it in Acts chapter 12 verse 11 speaking of God getting him out of prison. He rescued him. He delivered him out of prison. In Acts chapter 23 when the riot mob was trying to crucify Paul in Jerusalem. It says that the Roman commander rescued Paul. Same word all the way through. These terms are, are used in a physical sense. Only one has a metaphor. Here in Galatians, and it's referring to the cross, the death of Christ for our sins. In this age... In this time, okay, he's not, ref- he's not referring to a time sequence. He's referring to a system, an era system, okay? Let me tell you about this system. It started at the fall, okay? Remember the little problem with the fruit? That little deal? Okay, and that era goes until Christ Sets up the new Jerusalem. Okay? So anytime in that time slot, that era, that evil age, you have already been rescued from it. What's he talking about? Well... I look at it in this perspective. That slot that you see all has one thing in common, very dear thing in common. What is that? Time. From getting expelled from the garden to the new Jerusalem, there's always an issue of time. I mean, even the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year kingdom, is based on time. I mean, it's going to be cold. Don't get me wrong. But it's still based on Time, but the eternal kingdom is at the conclusion of the thousand year reign. Okay, he says, All of that you have been rescued from. So, when I look at the physical today, guess what? It is based on what? Time. Everything around you is based on time, your job. Time, your spouse, time, we won't touch it, don't say nothing, just keep, keep right on going, don't think about it, alright, just keep right on, everything you deal with on a daily basis has what issue to it? Time, why? Because it's a physical, physical, listen, there's only one thing, hear me really close, there's only one thing that you can invest in this very day that is eternal. The souls of people. Okay? If I show you how to become a billionaire, guess what? It's based on time. And even if you arrive, guess what happens? You can't take it with you. Alright? I mean, I hear people, it's kind of funny, I hear people saying, well, you know, what about gold and this? You know what? Gold in heaven is pavement. Streets of heaven are paved with 
gold. They got some really cool gold on that one foundation. It's so pure that it's clear. And I don't even, I don't, I don't get that one. Okay? You've been rescued from that. All right? Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. See if I can say this another way. Okay, now he's talking about the Pharisees here. Okay? And how the Pharisees boast in their works. Listen, the world, the church today is full of Pharisees. The church is full of people who are boasting in their works. Okay? I mean, I've seen people who will boast in their humility. Okay? They're tricky at it, but that's what you hear. Let me show you what he says here. Now, hear what he says. Verse 14, may it never be that I would boast. Now listen, in evangelical circles, if anybody can boast, Paul's can, he's got some boasting. He says, may it never be that I would boast, except in that in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through, okay, now what? You don't understand what the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is, right? That's his death. Through it, what? What happened that he would boast in the death of Jesus Christ? He says, the world has been crucified to me. Look what else he says. Read that really close. People get mad at me when I say I can tell whether you're saved or not. Look what it says. The death of Jesus Christ to me, Paul says. The world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's not hard to spot in a person. It's not hard to spot a person who is interested in the things of this world and a person who is not. Let me give you an illustration. One of the groups of churches that has helped that is working in the lands of Russia in an amazing way is a church that we kind of got this thing all started um, three years ago. It's called Tulsa Bible Church. Bet you can't guess where it's at. But anyway, uh, we went over there and um, a wonderful man of God is their pastor. Uh, and, and it's a... In Tulsa's viewpoint, it's not a big church, okay? Oral Roberts University, a few other things you may know of, okay? But they do have about 650 members. So from our perspective, that's a Montgomery church, okay? Um, they have been involved in the lands of Russia since 1989 when the curtain collapsed, Okay? Uh, the door was open and they took off. And they've been kind of focused in one place, a place called Volgadance. 650 members. Okay. Out of that 650 members, I looked at my notes, 273 of those members have been to Russia. Okay. Now, let me explain something to you about going to Russia. They don't pay for your expenses. They can't afford it. Okay. Of that 250 number, 176 have been multiple times. Okay? Now, I want to make something clear about that number. That is not the pastors or the elders. That is of the laity have been there. And I asked them, I said... Is everybody in your church rich? No. He says, my people take their vacations now. And they go to the orphanages or the drug rehabs or help paint new church buildings or go and help women build quilts, show them how to grow crops. Just go down the line. They got, they're, they're into everything in that area. They, they, one guy's invested semis over there, and a guy's in the trucking business. One part of the church is in the trucking business. Beehives is a big thing. I'm still not sure how that all works. But that's what they do now. And I said, you're telling me that the family and all the rest of it, you know, the vacation to the beach, to the mountains, to the highlands, to the flatlands, to the roundlands, whatever. And he says, no, that's where they go now. 
He says, why? I said, how did you do that? He says, temporal, eternal. Temporal, eternal. He said, I've got people right now. He said, if you'd have bought stock in software companies that teach Russian language, you could have retired on what my people have done. They all want to learn to speak some kind of Russian. Now think about that. If you're not willing to forsake your family for me, you're not worthy of me. Well, I'm not sure. Is that what it says? And I, I just read it and I think that and I think, well, Jimmy Cricket. He says, the Pharisee boasted in what they did. Look at what we've done. He said, I boast in the cross. Why? Because what did the cross accomplish? Through the cross, the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. Do you understand what it means to be crucified? That would be dead. Right? The attractions of the world are dead to me. What does it mean? Paul's saying, Jesus went to the cross and through his work on the cross, the world is dead to me and I am dead to the world. All right. What does that mean? What does it mean I'm dead to the world? Do I need to start wearing like camel hair coats and, you know, walk everywhere, don't ever own a car and I've got to sleep in a cave or something like that? Well, it's simply, it has no relation to me. Um, the world has no relation to a believer, and a believer has no real relation to the world. Okay, I'm not talking about food. I'm not talking about beautiful sunrises or sunsets or looking at the oceans. And, you know, I, I remember sitting in Caesarea and looking at the Mediterranean and thinking, dang, on, that is almost like a fake blue. It's like somebody come in here and put some kind of blue ink and made, that don't even look like real water. And everybody says, you want to get in? No, I'm afraid of it. It just don't, it, the ocean's not supposed to be that blue. I see it on globes, it's that blue. It's not supposed to be really that blue. That's not what I'm talking about. Why? God gave us the world. I mean, He gave us creation. He says, I want you to look around and see, hey, am I talented or what? <laughs> it has to do with the ideas. Remember when we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5? That we tear down fortresses, loggy moss, ideologies. Okay? He's saying, I am dead to the thought patterns of the world. I am dead to the ideas of the world. I am dead to the ideologies of the world, the patterns of the world. I am dead to the values of the world. I am dead to the honors of the world. The accomplishments that the world gives, I am dead to those. I am dead to these kind of things. Why? I'm here to destroy them, actually. I'm here to destroy those ideologies. Every lofty thing that is lifted up, every thing that is exalted over the knowledge of God. It's kind of like this. Anti-God ideas I am against. Let me give you one that's on the board right now. Global warming. Okay, uh, you could parade out a whole line of scientists that says it's happening. You can parade out a same number of line that says it ain't. Okay, we're we're trying to save the planet from from everything. Okay, you know what I've learned in my study of Scripture? God made this planet disposable. He says, "I'm going to make a new heaven." New earth. I'm not saying don't be a good steward. But I can say this emphatically. Sin is moving this planet to destruction. I've read the end of the book. Hear that flushing sound? That's us. That's us. I mean, have you, have you watched the news lately? We have a flu bug. It's the flu. Okay, but we're worried about a pandemic. And I'm saying the pandemic, what? Has Panama got the flu? What? We're worried about what? A whole bunch of people dying from what? 
The flu. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were really smart people. Didn't we beat cholera and malaria and whatever? It's the flu. Give the people a bottle of NyQuil and tell them, drink about half of it, wake up in a week, you'll be cured. You'll have a hangover, but you're still going to be cured. Right? But Terry, you just don't understand. Oh, yeah, I'm afraid there's an issue here. The problem is I do understand. This world has a factor in it that nobody has addressed. Sin. Sin. Bird flu. Sin. Hepatitis. Sin. Cancer. Sin. Earthquakes. Sin. Hurricanes. Tornadoes. Sin. Sin. And I've seen how he ends this bugger. Guess what? Sin. There is an awful, there is a huge amount of energy and, and money and, and, and resources being used to save us. I mean, do you know how many billions of dollars are being spent to save us? How many billions and billions of hours we're going to clone our own organs? I'm going to take a hair follicle or something and add this and mix this in this dish and I'll grow you a liver when yours dies. And you know what? Think about how many billions and billions and billions of man hours of human resources are being used and it all is dealing with the temporal. How many billions of dollars are being spent for the eternal? How much brain power is being used for the eternal? Let me give you a text. Go to Colossians. If you're in Galatians 6, move to the right, a book and a half. Two books, sorry. And a half. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. An amazing text. Okay? Dealing with the subject of salvation again. If you have died with Christ, guess what you did at the same time? The elementary principles of the world. Okay? Anything that the world comes up with, hear what I'm saying. This is what Paul says. Anything the world comes up with compared to the truth of God is baby talk. (laughs) That's what he says. You ever seen it? You ever talked to the... With your little baby? Okay, I mean, I see grown people. And the little baby sitting there going, laughing, saying, this adult is an idiot. (laughs) I just don't know how to articulate that. I haven't learned to talk. He knows how to talk. Why is he acting like me? Okay, I don't know if that's what the baby thinks or not. But he's saying, you take the greatest minds on the planet Earth has ever seen, the greatest philosophers, the greatest thinkers, and their greatest ideas compared to the truth of God is baby talk. It's baby talk. The most brilliant is elementary school. Compared to what we know. Did you hear what I said? I threw that in there. I wanted you to hear what I said. The most brilliant. The, what is that thing they just gave? Nobel Prize. Take the brilliant. And compare it to your average Christian. And they're in elementary school. It's easy to say, wow, you still understand. Oh, yeah, I know, I know the origins of creation. And they're not complicated. They're very simple, actually. Hmm. You know what's really cool? 
that I really boast in? I know the conclusion of creation. Take the greatest minds on the planet Earth. Do they know that? We have been delivered from the temporal to the eternals. That's cool. The best that men has compared to what God offers is elementary school. It's baby talk. It's baby talk. I know how it all started. I know how it all ends. You know, it's amazing. Early 1900s, we figured out the hydrological cycle. Did you know that? You know what the hydrological cycle is, right? Ocean evaporates, cloud pushed against a land mass or a high pressure, squeezes it out, get rain, hits the river, runs back out to the ocean, evaporates again, goes back out and does that. Do you know Isaiah knew that? And he was just a prophet. He already knew that. You know what's amazing? When you talk about, remember everybody thought that uh, Christopher Columbus was going to fall off the edge? You know who told him that? You know where that conclusion came from? The great minds. The oldest book in the Bible, the book of Job. Job knew that they were spheres. Job knew that. And the greatest minds of the planet. You don't go off the edge. And yet Job said, no, they're spheres. God hung the spheres in nothing. Job understood that. Why do we think we're so smart? Job understood it. Isaiah understood it. Ezekiel understood it. Daniel understood it. Daniel wrote it down and said, I don't even know what I'm writing down, but God told me to. Paul ascended to the third heaven. He says, what I saw up there, I'm not allowed to say. Why? He's going to give it to John on the island of Patmos. He's going to write it down. You have been delivered from the temporal to the eternals. We've died to baby talk. I've died to the elementary school. I ain't there no more. I don't need to be there no more. It's silly. Blah, 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 blah. That's all it is. It's like yesterday we had a dinner and a movie. And I was sitting there on the floor playing with Josh, little Josh, Kim's little Josh. And he's kind of sitting, kind of sitting there. I'm not sure what it was. It looked, it looked like a little sack of mud had fallen and had a head on it. And it's, hey, I talked to you. And I, so we were sitting there talking. And I was doing the blah, 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 and he was going. And so he got so tired of me, he just puked on me. And said, there, shut up, mister. Get out of my face. You're awful. And I thought about my message, and I thought about Josh, and I thought, how many in Christendom today want to sit and talk like the baby that you have died to? And Jesus said, you know what? That's like that church in Laodicea. You're trying to embrace the wisdom of man. You're trying to embrace me. You're neither hot nor cold, and you make me want to vomit. And I look at the church today, and what happens? You know what amazed me this week? At that meeting I was at in Chicago, 42 guys from around the planet Earth, from about as, as many varying backgrounds that you could have put in 42 different people, all taking the wisdom of the ages and trying to resolve the problems that set before us. Everything from finances to dealing with governments to dealing with visas to dealing with airfare to... You name it, we dealt with it. And every issue, every single issue was dealt with by the Word of God. 
and I sit in our denomination and heard people say that we need to find type five leaders. And I said, what the? And they were all in this thing talking about five, top five. Most of us are type four leaders and there's a few type threes. But when you find the five, type five leaders, then everything will be fine. And I'm sitting there going, where are they? And I said, where do we get this information? Oh, there's this businessman who wrote all these books and he went around all the secular businesses, Fortune 500 businesses, and he found the leaderships like Lee Iacocca and these kind of people who made their industries run. And even when they were hands-on or hands-off, the industries kept running because they had raised up type fours underneath them because they are type fives and they didn't need to do that. What? I said, what type was Paul? He said, well, Terry, you just don't understand. As the leadership goes, the church goes. What happened to Corinth? That's not true. As the leadership goes, what happened to Jesus? I mean, he had 12 boneheads. Uh, One denied him, one betrayed him, and the other 10 vanished. Were they type three, four, twos? What? I said, in our denomination, the largest Protestant denomination on the planet Earth, and that's the best that they could come up with. And I sat with 43 men up in Chicago from as varied backgrounds as you can get. Some trained, some not trained, some educated, and then me. (laughs) All right? And we're all there, and we all have one tool, and we all have one focus, one job. And we're dead to the baby talk. It's baby talk. How about you? Where do you stand with the temporal today? Are you concerned about global warming? I talked to a pastor who was from Siberia, and he said he'd give anything to see it warm up three degrees. (laughs) Minus 40? Yeah. Minus 37. The glaciers are melting. He prays so all their water is polluted. What do you spend most of your time in? What do you spend most of your time in? Why? Because a true child of God is no longer in the lie. We're in truth. true child of God is no longer in sin. He is in righteousness. A true child of God is no longer in the temporal. They are in the eternal. The eternal things all of a sudden become more important. And I'll deal with more of this next week. Let's pray. Father, give us the importance of the eternals. Father, let us understand the elementary principles of baby talk. Father, we exist in a, an era of baby talk. And yet, Father... Your children have the wisdom of the ages. Your children understand the wisdom that spoke existence into being. Your children understand truth from the lie. Your children understand righteousness. Your children understand what is really important this day. And I praise you for that. Father, let us not fall into the trap of setting the deck chairs on the Titanic. Father, let us, as our brother Paul laid before us, and oh so many between him and us, that it is you and you alone, to your glory and praise. In Christ's name.